This morning, we're continuing with the um, series that Keith has introduced a few weeks ago, Worship and Warfare. And the issue is always this. Anytime we are led by the Holy Spirit to teach a series, whether here on Sunday morning in the worship time or School of the Word or perhaps in your covenant group, we always feel, hopefully we do, this is the most important series we've ever done. Because at the moment, it is the most important series or teaching that we have ever done. Amen? And so, this is extremely significant because it is central to God's purpose for our lives. Now, let's remember this. Why has God saved us? We weren't saved because we needed to be saved, although we did need to be saved. Why did God save you? He saved us so that we would be the vessels in which the Lord Jesus himself would be manifested through our worship. I don't know whether this is in your notes, but 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure what treasure? The treasure of the Lord Jesus by the Holy Spirit. We have this treasure in earthen vessels in us. For what purpose? Does anybody know the rest of the verse? We have this treasure in earthen vessels. What? Can someone help me to remember what it says? So that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. That's God's purpose for saving us. And in John 4.23, remember Pastor Keith has mentioned this several times. Jesus explains the essence of what this worship is. The essence of it. You remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well? Because she says, well, you know, you Jews worship in Jerusalem. We worship here in Samaria. And so Jesus corrects her to say this. The hour is coming and now is. That the, get these two words, true worshiper. That the true worshiper will worship the Father, what? In spirit and in truth. The true worshiper worships in and through and by the power of God's Holy Spirit who produces in us the truth of who God is through our worship. That's the true worshiper. And as we worship the Father in spirit and truth, what happens? What is the result of God wanting us to worship him in spirit and truth? What is God after? Well, God is after this. God is after the declaration or the manifestation of that which is true. And what is true? He is showing himself through our worship to be the only one who is worthy of all of our devotion, all of our affection, all of our trust, all of our obedience. In our worship, we are literally 
ascribing to God ultimate worth and value. Now remember what we've said. Worship is not essentially or rather only what we do here and what we've just done here this morning. That is a very small aspect of it, but very significant. Worship is that which is to describe my life and your life every moment of our lives. Now, when others know you and see you and watch you, and by the way, when I say that, I should say watch us. Because I have the same difficulties and experience the same difficulties that you do. Pastors are not exempt. So Glenn, when your neighbor sees you, do they see the reality that God is of ultimate worth and value that of anything and everything else in all your life, God alone is worthy of your praise. Do we exude that? You see, Liz, if you had asked me that, I would have said, no. Worship in me is present, but the work of the Holy Spirit is developing and maturing the worship of our Heavenly Father in me. That's why we're saved. You see, we're, how many of you remember this hymn? I need thee every hour. You remember that? That's a real good statement of what worship is. Does my life make a clear and compelling and consistent statement? I need thee every hour. That's worship. So in this kind of worship, when we are worshiping God in spirit and truth, that's to the extent that we are worshiping God in spirit and truth is the extent that we will be experiencing the joy and the pleasure of God's presence. You remember what David said in Psalm 1611, he says, you, he's talking about the Lord. You, Lord, you make me know, make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy at your right hand or pleasures evermore. And so in the rest of the verse in John 4, 23, Jesus says to the woman, this is the kind of worship that the Father is seeking for us. A life that is absolutely, at least in a growing way, totally consumed with the worth and the value and the glory of God. That's why we're saved. That's God's purpose in us. Now, what does that worship look like in, in kind of a practical way? Because when we say that, there's just a whole lot there that we may not understand how it works. Well, there are several ways to identify or to demonstrate or talk about the practicality of our worship. This morning, 
want to emphasize this part. In Mark 12, verses 30 to 31, Jesus explains this kind of worship. You remember the story. The lawyer came to Jesus and he says, you know, what is the greatest of all the commandments? What's the greatest? And so Jesus begins by quoting from Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He is God and there is no other. Then he says this, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second commandment, and he links to two, the, the two together inseparably, and the second is like unto the first. And you shall love your neighbor as you are loving God. So what does that mean? True worship is this, that we are loving God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength and also loving one another. <laughs> Here's the difficulty. Loving one another with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. You see, this is the worship the Father seeks. We cannot say, as John says in 1 John, that we love God this way and then don't love our brethren that way. The two go together as one. This is the worship that God is seeking from each of us. The worship of a heart so filled with love for God and for one another. Now, that's easy to say. Did you notice I, did I have any difficulty saying that? And if you notice I <laughs> didn't stumble through it, that's easy to say. But where does the rubber hit the road? Not in the saying of it, not in the believing of it, maybe not even in the wanting of it, but where is the difficulty in the doing it? Now, come on. You see, in my mind, a sermon is a co-participation of Ewan's and Mian's together. It's a co-participation of all of us together in what the Holy Spirit is saying through one man to all of us, and even as that one man says it to us, the Holy Spirit is also saying it to this one man. How many of us experience difficulty and resistance and even a warfare within our own hearts, within our souls, when we think about God's will and purpose having saved us to be the demonstration of his worth as we love one another this way. Are you following me this morning? 
Anyone have any difficulty with this from time to time? Anyone? Three of you. This is where the warfare is, isn't it? Now think about that person. Think about him. Think about her. Gail, you have somebody in mind? You can, you can nod, okay, it's okay. Sandy, you have anybody in mind? <laughs> yes, indeed I do. Is it easy in every circumstance to love that person the way God has loved you? Or is it a real struggle sometimes? Amen? It's a real struggle sometimes. It's okay to admit these things. And this is where the warfare is. You notice this morning, the general title of the series is Worship and Warfare. But I, as I was listening, hopefully, to what the Holy Spirit is leading me to say, I just felt this was the emphasis. Emphasize the warfare for our worship. Because you see, I think that probably no other issue, and I say worship as an all-consuming activity of our lives toward God and toward one another. Not leaving out other things, but putting them all into this one category. This is where the warfare is for our worship of God. And the epicenter of that warfare is for our heart's humility to acknowledge and to express and to walk in such a way that God is continually, manifestedly being demonstrated as the only one in all creation worthy of our total devotion, our total love, our total loyalty and obedience. So for the rest of the this morning, just want to talk a little bit about the origin of this warfare. Just felt that rather than going into any more details, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to alert us to what we already know. He wants to alert us to the ultimate and continuous, sorry, the inevitable and continual presence of warfare. Because no worship occurs without a warfare. Have you noticed that? And when you're beginning to feel this tussle and pull against your worship of God, your submission to his will, laying down that which you want to do because you know it's not the Holy Spirit's preference. 
not saying what you want to say because you know to do that doesn't manifest the love of God, etc. That's a warfare. And when you are experiencing this, which is probably pretty regular, and hopefully as a result of this sermon this morning, we'll become more aware, consciously aware. This is a warfare. And I am being tempted to withhold my worship of God through this particular issue. But one of the things I've noticed is this. When this happens, some of us may feel there's something wrong with me. Do you ever have that thought? What's wrong with me? I'm not obedient enough. I'm not done. Whatever. And we begin to try to determine, to analyze, to think about what have I done to deserve this? What is going on that? And here's what I told a friend of mine who left to live in Beaumont, Texas. A newly saved young fellow. So when you get to Texas, write this on the door of your icebox, your refrigerator. Write this. I am going to be attacked. And when I am attacked, remember, nothing is wrong. Everything is right. Can you remember that? And he's told me innumerable times, I am so glad you told me to do that. Because there were times when I thought I was being punished. I was reaping something of real wrong in myself. I, there was something wrong with me. And he had to come to this understanding. This warfare that each one of us is experiencing is absolutely inevitable in every aspect of our ability to worship God. Can you get that down? And is anything wrong? And what's going on? It's the work of the Holy Spirit informing us of areas that he desires to minister into our souls to create an improvement or a maturity of our warfare. Now, there are a lot of things I don't like, but yeah, I was listening to a couple of the sermons at the men's retreat. I didn't go, couldn't go this year. And it was a challenge for me to listen to Keith and Billy. I was challenged. It was difficult. You know why? Because as I listened to what the Holy Spirit said through these two brothers, I was continually being reminded of how far I fall, how short I come of being a man who is a worshiper of God the way God wants. 
Daniel, it was a challenge to me, brother. I was challenged. In fact, at one moment, I, I turned it off. I actually turned off the, uh, what do you call it, the recording or whatever. Because I just needed to get away from that, Darren, a little bit. I just needed to get away just to kind of, it was a challenge. It's a challenge to us. But I also know that I have to go back and listen to this knowing that the will of God is not to condemn me or to put me down or to do anything of that sort, but that God reveals our deficiencies for one purpose, to overcome them by the power of his spirit to build us up in Christ. Amen? It doesn't mean I'm going to go back and re-listen to them, that's for sure. No. <laughs> We need to be aware of what is very obvious in our lives. I'm going to say it this way. Hopefully, those of you on television, wherever the camera is and here, hopefully this won't offend you. We are in one hell of a battle. And I mean hell, the biblical hell. That's what's happening. So when does it begin? You remember in Genesis 2.15, the Lord has created Adam and even in Genesis 2.15, the Bible says, and the Lord God took Adam and put him into the garden of Eden. Now that word Eden is very important. It's a Hebrew word and it means several things. But one of the most predominant uses of this word in the Old Testament has to do with pleasure and enjoyment. Pleasure. So what does this mean? This means that God created humanity and placed humanity in the garden or the location or the sphere of the presence of his own joy and pleasure. You see, this means that Adam and Eve were to find their pleasure, their meaning of life, their purpose, in the presence of God. This is where real joy and satisfaction are located in the presence of our God. The Garden of Eden was a place where God was to be worshiped. And when the Lord placed Adam and Eve in the garden in chapter two, What's the first thing we find out about that in chapter 3? A battle begins. A battle begins. The enemy of God's worship came into the garden to steal, kill, and destroy the worship of God. He came into the garden to steal, to kill, and destroy their worship. So let's read from Genesis 1 through 5, just portions of it. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. Now here it comes. 
here's the essence of the battle. Here's the essence of every temptation. Hath God said, every time you're tempted and every time I'm tempted, it is the work of the enemy through the world, through our flesh, to not believe and trust God, to turn our attention from him to someone or something else. Every time. Now you think about the temptations that you have experienced over the last little time. Everyone has this central feature. You're tempted to whatever. It's a question in your mind about the sufficiency of God. And the purpose is to rob God of his glory. So the next time you're tempted in whatever area and how, remember this. This is the attack of the enemy in me, in my mind, in my feelings, in my desires. This is an attack of the enemy to prevent me from giving God the glory, the worship that he desires. And actually the essence of the result would be Satan himself, you see, gets the glory. Why? Because First John, sorry, Second Corinthians 4, 4 says this. Satan is the God of this world. You're going to worship a God. May I say that again? You and I will worship and we always worship a God. The only question is, is it Satan or is it the Lord Jesus? It's a simple matter. So every temptation is a temptation to, in some way, even just a little bit, relax your worship. Just do something. Go somewhere. Say something that is pleasing for self. And to whatever degree it happens, it is a worship of Satan every time. You may not think that way. You may not even believe it. But that is the way it is. And so he said to the woman, indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Verse 4. And the serpent said to the woman, eh, you ain't going to die. You're not going to die. For God knows, and here's the reason for the temptation. Here's Satan's purpose. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, in the day that you give your affections, your devotion, your obedience to anything else, at that moment, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Do you see it? You will be stealing, killing, and destroying if you could, the value of God. 
So thus began the warfare for our, warfare for our affections and devotions and obedience. So there is a raid against every believer, a vast and furious army of opposition. Listen to how the Apostle Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Our struggle, our warfare, our warfare. He's not saying, hey, I wonder if there is a warfare. He knows it. Our warfare is not against flesh and blood. You see, my battle is not against my wife. Your battle is not against the leadership of the church or one another. But against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. You see... There is an unrelenting warfare against our worship of God in which Satan seems or at least desires to dethrone God in our hearts. This is an unrelenting warfare. You see, we're in a battle. That's not the question. We are in the battle. But you see, let us not be confused or dismayed about the outcome of this battle. How many of you have ever watched a football game, tennis game, or whatever it is, when you already knew the score? How many have ever done that? Come on, anybody ever? You know the score, who won the game between Joe Burrow and Mahomes, right? We know the score already. Some kind of way, you know what the score is going to be today. And all of a sudden, it looks like, man, your team is losing miserably. And these other guys are able to pound them and pound them and pound them. Now, if you didn't know the score, and at the half, it was like 32 to naught, to nothing. And your team is nothing. How many of you would be preoccupied with What if? What should? How many of you would be preoccupied with that? There are no sports fans in here. That's very interesting. So that means none of y'all are going to turn on the TV this afternoon and watch, right? None of you will, correct? Thank you, Sherry. We get nervous. My goodness, the Saints are going to lose the Super Bowl. They're going to lose. You remember that game? Until Tracy Porter caught the pass. And we were in here that night and I jumped up. I'm sitting right over there where Gail is. I jumped up and said, we won. And we still had a few more minutes. I mean, I was nervous. I was so nervous. On a couple of occasions, I had to go upstairs in that room there and not listen to it. I wanted the saints to win. Is that wrong? But had I already known that they were going to win, I can watch that game with a greater confidence and a greater security. You see, we're in a battle. 
but our commander-in-chief won the day. That's right. See, this is a situation, remember in 2 Kings chapter 6. Now, the king of Aram, that's just an opposing army against Israel. It's a satanic attack, was warring against Israel, and he sent a great army. Remember the description of the army in Ephesians 6, 12? That's a great army. And surrounded the city of Jerusalem, the place that, which is a place of God's worship. How many of you have ever felt you've been surrounded by difficulty, by problems, by temptations of what's going to happen, Right? Here's what my wife has to struggle with. I do a little bit, but she's much more in this area. What if? What if? And we had a pastor here several years ago, Mike Indes, that used to say, my wife is the queen of the land of what if. But the problem is the land of what if doesn't exist. And so they're surrounded. The attendant of Elisha, the man of God, saw the army with the horses and the chariots was encircling the city. And he said to his master, and this is what we do. My master, what shall we do? Look, look at the army. Look at the difficulty. Look at the problem. Look how they're treating me. Look what I've been left out of. This is warfare. It's warfare for our heart's love for God. So Elisha answered, eh, don't be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, you know, that's fine to say. Oh, sure, that's what you say. Then Elisha prayed and said, oh, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. The apostle Paul prays that the eyes of our understanding will be open. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw. He saw the earthly army arrayed against him. But then when he looked up, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. See, the battle had already been won. This is the promise of Jesus. John 16, in this world, you will experience warfare. Now, I know that's a little loose translation of the word tribulation. Now, suppose he had stopped there. Well, what else does he say? Is it in your notes? Someone may say it. It's okay to say it. It's okay. But what? Be of good cheer. Take courage. What? For well, what? I have overcome the world. He said, you're going to be in a battle. But the essential knowledge is not about the battle. It's not about my weakness. It's not about what's wrong with others. It's not about the politics. It's not about the culture. That's not the essential battle. 
the essential revelation in this battle is this. There is a glorified man standing at the right hand of God who is conducting the warfare against his people. And this man will not lose one soul to Satan. Somebody got to yell on that one. Somebody shout. Somebody shout. None of us who are in Christ are going to be lost because we have a commander who is standing at the right hand of God the Father, having been given all authority in heaven and earth to conduct the warfare and to defeat Satan, even though in our time here, it looks like we are getting our teeth knocked in. But on that day, the final victory will be realized. Amen. This is good news. You must see this because the moment you leave here, even maybe before you leave here, we are going to be attacked. The enemy is going to say, say oh, yeah, you, you believe? Oh, yeah? Let's see what happens. And then, boom, he throws something. And our propensity is so much. And I understand this. To look at that army, to look at the difficulty, to look at the problems, to say, what if? Rather than do what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 3. If any man be in, look up. Amen. Look up. Look up to where Christ is seated. When was the battle won? Do you remember the great battle cry? The cry of victory. Do you remember it? Jesus, after having the meal with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, got up with these men. Judas had already been gone. And they left and they crossed the brook Kedron and entered a garden called the Garden of Gethsemane. And there this man who experienced in himself the soul suffering of all of his people and even greater who experienced in himself what Satan was trying to do and continues to try to do against every one of us. And the battle that occurs in Gethsemane is the battle for man's devotion, obedience to God. That's the battle. Never a man has been tempted and so burdened. Never and never again. 
Because as this man was experiencing that battle for the worship of God, each one of us, spiritually speaking, were in him and he was experiencing the battle that every one of us continually bear. It's already been experienced. What you're going through has already been experienced. Don, it's already been experienced, brother. Skippy, it's already been experienced. There is a man who has already experienced the totality of what all of us comprehensively are experiencing. Linda, he's already been there. The battle for the supremacy of God in the hearts of God people. That's what Gethsemane is all about. It is the greatest cosmic battle of all time. And you remember this, Father, if it's possible, let this cup of the payment for this sin, the cup of wrath, pass from me. But nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. There it is. There it is. There's the victory. Right there. Right there. Where one man for all of his people and on behalf of all of his people says this, I will not yield to any temptation at all that would in any way diminish or alter the supremacy of my God in my heart. Then at the cross, he pays the un unimaginable price of that victory that he has gained for us so that the cry goes out through eternity from John 19, 30, the cry goes out to all eternity and all the forces of evil that are arrayed against the people of God ever have been arrayed and ever will be arrayed. It is finished. I won the day. Amen. That's where we are. That's where we are. That's going on. In that, I can be secure that this day, as difficult as it is, that this day, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I will not be overcome. Even when I submit to temptation, God will win the day. Because he's already won it at the cross. Gethsemane and the cross. So let me read these passages from Revelation that describe the final or ultimate revelation 
of the triumph of Jesus. Because this is where our minds, decisions need to be. The next time you are tempted to place your worship anywhere, in anyone, for whatever reason, other than in God. Let's read these. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. Are they going to be on the wall, on the screen? Well, if they're not, are they in your notes? Let's read them. The devil. Who? I'm asking the Lord that I have front row seats for this. I have a reserve seat right on the front. Rhonda, I'm going to be there. And if I've ever raised my voice on this side, Ben, you are going to be surprised how loud I can become. Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone. Amen. Can you say amen? He is a defeated foe. We are not battling today to gain the victory. We are battling because Jesus' victory is our victory. So we are battling as a demonstration that there is a man in the heavens who has overcome all the works of the devil on our behalf. So I ain't trying to get no victory. I've been given the victory, Rosie. I've been given the victory in Christ. Where the beast, lake of fire, where the beast and the false prophet are also, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And to that I say, glory to God. Then in chapter 21, verses 1 to 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. See, you don't worry about this global warming and we're going to destroy the earth. <laughs> and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. This is our heritage. This is where we're going. This is what we keep our minds on when, we're, when our worship is being attacked. And I heard a loud voice. I like that. A loud voice from heaven, from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. For the first things have passed away. Then he said to me, it is done. It is finished. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He who overcomes will inherit these things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. What's going on? Satan is doing everything in his demonic power. To in some way, if it is possible. To throw us over. But he cannot. Because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world, 1 John 4, 4. So Becky, because he can't overthrow us at least, 
he is attempting to diminish the glory of God in me. Yeah, we're in the midst of a great warfare for the worship of God, but our warfare is from the position of Jesus' own victory over sin. He's won. As we worship the Father in spirit and truth, we are declaring what the Apostle Paul by the Spirit is given to say in Philippians 2, verses 9 to 11. You remember that? Jesus submitted himself to death, even to death of the cross on verse 8. What is the result of Jesus winning this warfare? What is the result? Verses 9 to 11. Wherefore also God has highly exalted him. Come on. And has given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every what? Knee shall bow in the things of heaven, in the things on the earth, and the things underneath the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? For the glory of God the Father. That's God's goal in our worship. That's God's goal. In this worship, we are co-participants with Jesus in declaring the glory of God the Father. So as we leave today, be ready. The enemy's going to attack. Just this morning, I came in to reproduce these notes for us, for me. The copy of upstairs died Friday. Now, how many of you know who Mike Battle is? How many of you know him? Mike, are you here? Raise your hand. Come on, there's Mike back there. Come on, there he is, Mike. That's Mike Battle. He is a he is God's gift to us on the administrative staff of this church. He's God's gift to us. He got the notes printed. Because there's no telling how long I would go without these notes. Thank you, brother. When you leave, be ready. John 16, 33, in this world, you're going to get it. You're going to have tribulation. You're going to experience warfare. But be of what? Courage and good cheer. Why? I have overcome the world. Those three words are the proclamation of the victory. It is finished. Amen. Let's, let's praise God, brother. Would you stand with me? Come and stand. Come and stand before your maker, full of wonder, full of fear. Come behold his power and glory, yet with confidence draw near. For the one who holds the heavens and commands the stars above is the God who bends to bless us with an unrelenting love. Rejoice, rejoice. Come and lift your hands.
Have a great week. Rejoice in the Lord, for He is faithful forevermore. Have a good week. Love you guys.